He's out with a driver now. Now, I'm not sure this is right. Although, he's had a four and two threes on this hole. He's going to be at least three shots ahead. Welcome to Bros and Birdies, a golf podcast that aims to bring the golf news, chatter and guests from every walk of the golfing world. And we aim to pick the winners of the golf tournaments on the PGA, DP World and Live Tours. On the episode this week, we look back at the Players' Championship from a couple of weeks ago due to the technical issues we had last week, and we discuss some general talking points in the world of golf, as well as looking back at last week's tournaments and also previewing this week's WGC match play, the Johnsons' work were open on the DP World Tour and also the Corrales Punta Cana. But let's get our special guest in this week and let's give him the countdown. Okay, and welcome. I'm going to bring in our guest now. We had him on the podcast a few weeks ago. It's Flush from Flushing It, the Twitter arty sensation. How you doing, Flush? <laughs> yeah, great, thanks. Beautiful evening on the South Coast. We've got a point Absolutely. at the weekend, so that's always helpful for our you know, oh, yes. ambitions are staying up. Back to the yeah. football, exactly. Well, I'll tell you, actually, on the football, it's getting really tight down at the bottom, isn't it? Obviously, Everton got, Everton got their points at Chelsea, which was that's quite right, amazing, yeah. to be honest with you. But yeah, it's it's really stacking up at the bottom, isn't it? It's amazing. I think it's five points between the bottom nine teams, which is, yeah. I've, I've never seen a relegation fight like that before. And we've been involved in a few. So <laughs> it it's probably be... going to be more interesting than the top of the table, maybe. That yes, seems to be definitely. the case, doesn't it? Anyway, we've got some golf topics to talk about uh, this week. And for those that are listening, unfortunately, little bro is not able to join us this week. He's not feeling too well and he's currently undergoing some tests. And we hope to get him back next week on the podcast and wish him a speedy recovery so i know he'll be listening bro we need you back soon but anyway we've got yes, flush. Feel better soon, mate. <laughs> exactly we've got flush talking golf this week on bros and birdies and we are actually going to circle back to the players at sawgrass because we weren't able to publish last week technical reasons um, but we're going to go back to the players and have a quick review about what was a absolutely fabulous tournament and another great win for Scotty Scheffler did you get much did you get to see much of it flush yeah well, pretty much every minute to be honest yeah um, it was a fantastic performance from Scotty and it kind of goes back to what we were saying in the last podcast about how Scotty might be the most at that time the most underrated world number one ever and he's kind of proved it, hasn't he, by blitzing that field and basically having a runaway runaway win on that back nine. No, absolutely. I mean, it, it was amazing, to be honest with you, in the fact that there were so many players dropped by the wayside that created, you know, that kind of stroll for Scotty at the end of the day. But, you know, call yeah. out a couple. Minwoo Lee. I mean, that was a catastrophic back nine for him, wasn't it, with that? He had a, I think he had a triple bogey seven and a double bogey seven, I think, at the 16th, which really kind of set him back. And he was playing so well. He was striping the ball well, you know, with those low drives as well. And he just, he looked like he was going to get into contention. But 
I don't know, handling that kind of pressure at the players, you know, even without all of the live players, etc. It was, it was going to be a tough, tough feat. Yeah, well, Minwoo, um, he started with a birdie in the first on the first hole, didn't he? Yeah. He, he got close, and I thought he was really going to make a charge because he has that swag about him, and he's full of confidence, and he's got so much ability we've seen on the DP World Tour. Um, but then he had the triple. Where, I think it was middle of the front nine. He had the triple. Yeah. Um, and didn't he birdie seventeen? Maybe uh, I can't remember the exact what happened back now, but I think he birdied seventeen because he had that. Um, yeah. Like he cheered it, didn't he? Put his arms in the air. Yeah, um, he did. Yeah, he made yeah. that double at sixteen, obviously, which is par five, yeah, and then yeah. went, you know, came back and obviously wasn't going to, you know, do any. That eighteen, such a tough hole, and with that drive as well, so many players on the right hand side of the fairway in, you know, in the uh, in the trees, and a really tough second shot. Yeah, Absolutely. Definitely. But Minwoo Lee was one. Um, Tommy Fleetwood was the other. And, you know, I was on Tommy that week. I, I thought he would have a good week. And he just had costly bogeys at real crucial times in throughout the tournament. I mean, he dropped six shots in five holes during round two. And then he had a front nine slip in the final round. And then he had a double at 14 on the back nine as well, as well as a double at 17. So, you know, Tommy just kind of dropped back. But spare a thought for Taylor Montgomery, who was seven under going uh, into the, the 17th. Now, you know, he he dropped seven shots. He was laying in third position coming to the 15th hole. And third position at the time was going to win him just a shade under one point five million dollars. And he dropped seven shots in the space of three holes, finished tied 44th, and picked up $75,000. How hard is that to swallow? That is, I mean, professional golf is tough at the best of times, isn't it? But yeah, I couldn't imagine. You must feel sick after that. Oh, that, I mean, that, that is a phenomenal fall, isn't it? In terms of yeah. money stakes, you know, 1.4 million lost because of seven shots that was that was how critical it was you think to some guys the money wouldn't really matter but i I imagine to him that's still a lot of dough oh oh without without a shadow of doubt yeah absolutely well scheffler with his win he's i think 10.5 million dollars year to date um till hatton as well playing some really good golf at the moment four and a half million dollars earnings yeah hatton was was amazing wasn't he that final round yeah, that 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 back nine was was just something else. I loved watching him. You know, when he was walking up eighteen, he was smiling away as well. It's kind of cool to see that side of Tyrrell. It's I hope we get more of it to run it. Oh yeah, I mean he had everything in check, didn't he? You know, we talked yeah. about it weeks before about how he was beating himself. Um, you know, not necessarily you know golfers coming and beating him, but that that back nine he seemed so calm. He was smiling, and and I agree with you. I'd love to see him more like that, and it certainly worked for him. You know, second. And, and scooping a whole load of dough. So, but a great tournament, the players. The, the only unfortunate thing, obviously, it missed some of the best players in the world and goes against the grain of what, historically, the players has been all about. OK, anything else to close out on the players, Flush? Um, no, not really. I think no. most of it's been said on Twitter in the last two weeks. So, yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, let's move on. Wind the clock forward. We had three tournaments last week. We obviously had the Valspar. We had the SDC Championship on the DP World Tour. And we had another live event down at Tucson. But let's start with the Valspar, which was won 
by a golfer that I actually called out last season as a golfer to watch. Um, a really good young up-and-coming player who has featured quite highly and, and interestingly enough, actually only joined the PJ Tour last year. He's 29 years of age, turned pro in 2016, has already earned $4.5 million and played 46 times on the tour. And it's Taylor Moore, obviously a great win at the Valspar. That was a war of attrition on that back nine, wasn't it? Yeah, it sure was. That's, I mean, that course is so difficult. It's you see top players like Fleetwood, like a proper ball striker, struggling, you know, to find birdies. It just shows how hard it is, really, doesn't it? So. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, you know, even Sammy Burns came with a a late run, a bit too late, really. I think he finished was it five under for the championship or something, lost by five shots. But he was going through the the hat trick at the Valspar, wasn't he? He'd won the the previous two years, but a, yeah. a great performance. And you know Taylor Moore again, you know to go up against some really great players and and show that tenacity to you know really dig in deep. And for someone who's only played forty six times on tour, that that was a brilliant performance. So. Yeah, it was it was the Valspar. Um, it's the Copperhead course, isn't it? Is a really tough, tough course and caught a lot of players out last week. Some real t- tough stretcher holes. Yeah, definitely. It's a difficult course. I think I'd struggle around there. I wouldn't get enough <laughs> yeah, I think I'd struggle <laughs> on any course, to be honest with you. Flush, but yeah, there you go. Enough. Well, that was a quick review of the Valspar, not going into too much detail around that. And then, of course, we had the SDC championships on the dp world tour and i know you want to talk a little bit about the disappointing fact of sky sports not covering the dp world tour for two weeks running yeah you mentioned on the last last podcast that you thought they might be cutting costs because they had didn't have anyone on site at a couple of the pga tour events Mm. um i'm i'm intrigued uh as to why they're not showing these events um you know matt baldwin is, is a lad who's been a journeyman, you know, is, is a really good storyline. And I, I wish I could have seen him win because I played a bit of junior golf with Matt. He won right, the okay. in like 2002. I think I played with him at um, Harewood Downs in the Douglas Johns. Um, yeah, and I was, so I've kind of followed his career and I didn't realise he was still going. Um, but yeah, it's amazing. Well, I didn't, I knew he got his card last year, but I didn't realise before that that he was still sort of plugging away. Um, yeah. Yeah, but it's been, it's been cool to, to see him finally get that victory at 37 years old and having been a pro now for, I think, 15 or 16 years. It's a hell of a storyline, which we which is, would have been great to see live on TV. But Wouldn't it? Think, it? Yeah, almost yeah. Blandy-esque to a degree. Obviously not as old as Blandy, but, um, you know, similar in the sense that, you know, he turned pro in 2008, um, Matthew Baldwin. He's currently... 283rd in the official world rankings. You've said, obviously, he's 37 years of age, but he's played 200 tournaments on the DP World Tour, and that was his first win. And he's earned 2 million euros in his uh, European Tour, DP World Tour career. Uh, Alongside that, he obviously also had on the Challenge Tour uh, 141 tournaments where he actually won back in 2011 at the Fred Olsen Challenge to Espana. So, you know, he's had, you know, you said journeyman, he's had a, you know, a long career, really, when you think about it. And the interesting fact for me, and I know we'll get back to the coverage in a minute, because there's a couple of good points to raise there. But, you know, we spoke with um, Lee Crumbleholm from winninggolfminds.com. And he was on our podcast. And, you know, he has been working with a number of pros. And Matt is one of them. 
yeah, yeah and he said you know he said he was in a really good place mentally and he was he, he felt like he was about to come good so I'm actually gutted we didn't back him last yeah. week and stuff because I did back him a few weeks ago and you know he was kind of up there for a large part of the way but he's clearly playing some really good goal I mean that was an emphatic win last week wasn't it seven shot win 18 it's under just par. amazing he, he didn't like he just didn't come back at all I thought he might fall to a little bit at the end but he mm. just he won going away and that's just yeah really good to see he obviously had his game that week and he certainly looked like from the clips I saw on the um, DP World social medias um it looked like he certainly enjoyed it so that was yeah really cool yeah, absolutely. As you say, disappointing, not covered by Sky. And I want to go back to, you know, a couple of things that you were alluding to. And and I won't give the name of the person that, you know, we had some insight from, but we certainly did get something um, that said, yes, Sky, we're going to be cutting back on some of their coverage. And actually, they were only going to cover the majors and the FedEx Cup playoffs from here on in. Well, what then happened was a couple of weeks later, we started to see the cameras back at the, uh, we saw them, I think, at the Genesis, and then we saw them at the API. And there seemed to be a, an about face change in terms of maybe them covering some of the tournaments, because I think they did three on the bounce where they had people at the course under the name of Sky. So whether they got a little bit of stick for obviously, you know, maybe some of the coverage. And, and we've been very critical of some of the presenters. Uh, as you know, we talked about it last time. But I think it's interesting that they take that decision. I, I can only think it's a cost related decision and the fact that they probably put more resources into those three big elevated events um, and had to scale back. And the DP World Tour with the four guys. It's disappointing, like you say, because Matt Baldwin hasn't got the limelight that he probably deserved. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, it's, it's, I, I hope that, you know, the, the, if if they're going to start not showing the DP World Tour events um, or just doing minimal coverage, I mean, it's a real shame because it's it's already being degraded, as we've spoken about before, in regards yeah. to the strategic alliance and becoming a feeder tour. And if it's not even getting on TV, I mean, just what is even happening? It's just a disaster. I. I just find it really sad, but it's certainly not the tour which I grew up watching and my dad grew up watching or, you know, any European golf fan enjoyed during the 80s and 90s, etc. So, yeah, well, absolutely. And, and as you know, we had Blandy back on a couple of weeks ago and, and that was great to talk to him for a third time. We actually called him Richard Bland the third. Um, but, but yeah, and, you know, again, whilst there wasn't any major revelations, you know, there there was obviously some good chat around kind of what Liv are doing at the moment. And that probably brings us nicely into um, Liv Tucson last week in, in terms of that tournament for me, I think was the tournament that was probably the most captivating on the whole schedule so far since it started. I don't know what your views were on last week. I actually agree with you. And I've seen a lot of uh, of people saying that they need the stars at the top, but I mean, maybe they do for the casual fans, but for the golf you know, golf watchers like me and you, I think that is a, you know, hang on, I've got to end the call here. Um, yeah, I, th- I think that that was, was actually more captivating, seeing people like Danny Lee, who hasn't won in a few years, or like Louis Eustazen, who hasn't even won in the States, seeing him go to a playoff. I thought that was really cool. 
No, absolutely. I mean, great four-man player. Like you say, you know, it's not always about the big names. And, you know, this is the second tournament running now, isn't it, where we haven't had a big-name winner. Okay, we've had the four aces again up on the podium, you know, from a team event perspective, and the fireballs run away with last week. Um, But, you know, great to see someone like Danny Lee again, you know, what is second live tournament. Um, you know, interesting, isn't it, about Danny Lee in terms of, you know, some of the, the facts around his his career? Um, you know, he has you know, been a, a journeyman, hasn't he, with the PGA yeah. Tour again, really, you know, playing so many events over, you know, a number of years. I, I think he's played something just over 300 events on the PGA Tour. He joined in 2012, I believe. Um, that one win that he had on the PGA Tour went back to the 2014-15 season, which was at the Greenbrier Classic, which was actually in a playoff over David Hearn, Kevin Kisner and Robert Streb. Again, you know, three three names that, you know, apart from Kisner, maybe, who's probably been up there the last few years. But, you know, you're going back, you know, a good eight or nine years to when he won on the PGA Tour. He's 32 yeah. years of age. Uh, he won $15 million on the PGA Tour in earnings, just having one win over that yeah, career. It is incredible, isn't it? Really. It's it's Danny Lee. Is in, he's very similar to the way Peter Uline, who they were both sick amateurs, and then they turned pro um, and they've struggled. They haven't like reached the potential which they could have reached. And they've both gone to live and now seem to be getting you know the, the level back which they had when they were amateurs. But Danny Lee, he was the youngest ever US amateur winner in I think it was 2008 before it, that record was beaten maybe the following year by Ben Arn. He yeah. then also was the youngest ever winner on the DP World Tour and only the second amateur to ever win on the DP World Tour when he won the Johnny Walker in 2009. In 2009 yeah. Yeah, which is, I mean, you get a player like that, you think they're just going to progress on to great things. And if they just go and become journeymen, I always wonder what's holding them back and why they haven't got to that level. Uh, and maybe the the pressure or the, the Danny Lee put it down to concentrating on his team and the fact mm. that he stays switched on because he's constantly thinking about his score counting for the team event. Yeah. So I don't know if that is part of it, if that's just a narrative or is actually part of it. But certainly him and Peter Uline, they're reaching the levels which they did as an amateur. And it, it's really cool to see that, I think. Well, I know we'll dip into probably a little bit more of that in terms of the the team aspect of Liv in a few minutes. But let's just go back to the golf tournament. So obviously we had a four-man playoff, um, which again, you know, apart from Louis Oosthuizen, you know, probably didn't have any big names. I, I did find it interesting. Phil Mickelson did some Instagram lives during the playoff and re- referring to Brendan Steele as man of steel. It was, it was actually quite funny because um, he didn't know how to work the camera either, but he was given us a, a commentary um, live as it was happening. And, uh, you know, he referred to him as man of steel, but you've got Brendan Steele, you've got Danny Lee, you've got Louise Tazen, you know, all in that playoff. And you know, again, not, you know, big, big names, but, they are absolutely flourishing in the world of live at the moment. Yeah. So, I mean, let's just look at the uh, the money situation of live and, and say, you know, we'll get back to talking about live a little bit more about team and money and incentive and stuff like that during a, another conversation in a few minutes. But Charles Howell, as we know, won the, the first event of the current season and he now has earned five point seven million dollars 
in two events and in the 2023 season. Um, Danny Lee, 4.273 million for obviously um, scooping the win. And I think their team came third, I think, in, in the actual team event at Tucson as well. So who the captain, I think, is um, Kevin Nahr, isn't it? So, and it was interesting to see Kevin Nahr's reaction, you know, and all of the players. Yeah, he was living all, and dying in every shot, wasn't he, in that playoff? Absolutely. And I think yeah. that probably um, goes back to this whole team concept and, you know, the, what the incentives are for them. So we'll circle back on it. But, you know, there's some relatively lightweight players in the world of golf winning some astronomical sums of money at this current time. And, and it's certainly, certainly interesting in terms of the team standings. And, and again, it probably isn't any surprise to see the four aces up there again. You know, they've scooped 15 percent of the 50 million pot over the two events so far and currently sit in second place behind the crushers who are just a shade under nine point eight million dollars. Again, these numbers just knock you off your feet when when you look at them but yeah so we have the crushers leading four aces and the fireballs in third place obviously what, with what's their the 9.8 million is that total winnings for the individual and the team so yes it is so it'll yeah. be of that of the crushers team obviously we saw um charles howe won the first event so you know he amassed the, the four million for the win and obviously that the team event that you get i think they got was it four um each Additionally, yeah. now now that is interesting because th- this is actually um, a change this year because last year that all went back to the players and this year it's a little bit different. So we'll, we'll look at that in a few minutes. But yeah, interesting numbers already. And obviously we get the next live event, I think next week in Orlando, don't we? Yeah, that's right. Uh, it's just well, it before the Masters. Yeah, they go into a golf course, which I've noticed a, a bit of a narrative on Twitter where they're saying that you know, the first two events, the stars like Cam and DJ and Bryson are playing rubbish, but they've gone to golf courses, which you have to hit fairways. And yeah. that doesn't really suit those guys. But but the next event, if by all accounts, I've never played it or been there, but by all accounts, it's quite wide open. So I think you might see a completely different leaderboard and players like, like Cam, DJ, Matt Wolf, I think would probably be more towards the top of the leaderboard. Yeah, I would say Cam Smith's been really disappointing so far. Yeah. He has, but then you can't, neither of the last two golf courses, if you hit a wild hook, which Cam can be prone to, you're just making double bogey. So I'm not surprised that he's struggled a little bit, but he was only seven shots, I think, off a playoff or six shots off a playoff. So it's not like he's, you know, shooting Bryson numbers, but... (laughs) Yeah, yeah. exactly. Well, you say Bryson, and, you know, he's still earned just a shade over a million in two events. So he's not doing too badly, even though he's not playing great golf. But uh, I do wonder, because Bryson's one of the the captains, which I think would take it really seriously. So I wonder if his time's getting taken up a bit by running sort of the things behind the scenes. Because he's definitely one of the one I'd look at and think he'd be fully behind trying to build the business of the crushers. Yeah, yeah, I do wonder if it's taken up a lot of his time doing that and he's not been able to focus entirely on golf. Well, I think that's a really good point. And that probably leads us. Let's leave last week's golf tournaments now and let's get into some general talking points in the world of golf. And I think the first talking point, sticking on live, is what I thought was a great article in the Fire Pit Collective name by Alan Shipnook which was titled Live Growing Pains. Now, I don't know if you've seen the article, Flush, but 
there was a lot of interesting points that were made in that article. And a lot of what Alan Shipnot writes is, you know, it makes sense. It's very real. It's very accurate and truthful, you know, in terms of how he sees it through his eyes when he goes to these events and gets to see everything that goes on behind the scenes as well. Now, let's start with a, a few points in particular. So one of the first points he talked about in the article was that the players attended a mandatory meeting on the eve of the Tucson event. And at that meeting, there were there were three things generally that were covered. Um, one of them was the drug testing procedures. Now, I guess in any sports organization, you've got to make sure that you have good procedures around drug testing policies and, and the like and stuff. And, and maybe, you know, that they need to kind of mirror what other organizations and PGA Tour are doing to make sure that it's fair and it's equitable in terms of the, the testing procedures. But that was one point that was talked about. Another one was the new pace of play policy. Now, I think, you know, some of the rounds that are taking way too long, you know, for 18 holes on a shotgun start. And, you know, what, what did we have? Something like, was it five hours, just a shade over five hours of coverage in terms of playing those 18 holes on a limited field just seemed excessive to me. And I don't know if they're going to be coming up with some you know new rules around making sure that it speeds up i don't know if you saw any of that or witnessed any of that at the event i when we went to centurion i did notice there was like a two or three hole gap a couple of times between mm. groups and that's something that they probably should work on to help with the spectating um on site uh but i've never to be honest i haven't really noticed anything being slow on the broadcast but that's probably because they show so many shots yeah it's much better than the coverage of the pga tour <laughs> So it just seems, yeah, it doesn't feel like it's slow, even if it is. Yeah, and I think we definitely had a few of the groupings that were finishing, you know, two or three holes after some of the groups had finished. So, you know, there probably is an issue somewhere. And, and, and anyway, that's another thing that they were talking about at one of these mandatory meetings. The biggest and interesting one for me is the live business model evolution. And it certainly, from reading the article, seemed to have a, a few players um, being frustrated with some of the content in the business model evolution. And I think a lot of it is probably based around, you know, the, the changes that Liv have made in terms of this accelerated timeline. So, you know, they always classed 2023 was year one originally and this year they were going to have 10 events well actually they changed that to 14 so there's an acceleration and one of the interesting thing that came out to me was was a question really is that are now are some of the players contracts misaligned because they'd signed up to something that was 10 events but live have forced 14 events in now i'd be really interesting to see and try and get some quotes from players but I think they just freeze up when they talk anything contract related. I don't know what your views are on that. Yeah, I, I don't know, to be honest. I really Difficult don't. one, isn't it? Yeah, I, certainly last year, it, it does feel like they, like some of these players were promised things which just haven't come true. Um, and whether, whether they knew that going in, whether they were completely convinced that, like say, they'd win the court case, obviously, which is always unpredictable. Um, you just don't know. But yeah, I, I find this hard to, without talking directly to someone from Live about the contracts, I kind of don't really want to take it at face value from from reporters. Yeah, you know what I mean. So, 
Um, I yeah, I feel like I'm probably best not to comment on that. Yeah, no, I, I, it, and that's an interesting response. I, I think you know it, it just would be, uh, I guess, contracts is a personal thing, isn't it? At the end of the day, but it's yeah. also very sort of very at the forefront of a, a lot of what's going on in live and you know there's a lot of talk about it and we know obviously from talking to blandy a few weeks ago you know he's always been very honest about the fact that you know he's not contracted he knows what he's got to do to remain on the live roster for next year um you know finish top 24 essentially and, and make sure that he sticks in but there are only you know there's only a few of the big stars that have probably got multi-year contracts yeah and they they probably needed to do that to just to get them to jump because with the uncertainty around it if they didn't come like guarantee they'd have three four five years then who would go because if if you knew you weren't going to get owr points or you were just hopeful that you might and then you wouldn't qualify for majors and stuff yeah there's no reason for anyone to go even though the money is so good um it's it probably wouldn't be enough to convince players like Bryson and Brooks to go, I don't think. So they probably had to be tied in to make sure that they don't just lose their form and get relegated. And then suddenly they're left in no man's land with nowhere to play, uh, with no sponsorship deals and with no access to majors. Yeah, absolutely. One of the other things that came out in this article is that it certainly seems that Liv have gone all in on the team aspect of their business model um you know once I, I think you know th- there's some comments about they definitely want to put more of the purse into the team into the team's aspect um you know there's equity yeah. dividends and profit sharing agreements and and this is really interesting because i think there was a um a quote from kevin Nahr where he sort of said you know he he was unbothered about all of the contract chats you know yet he has a long contract and he's earning a shit ton of money, was what the quote was, which is probably great for Kevin Nahr. You know, he's saying, well, I'm currently earning a shitload of money. I'm going to continue to. And he's got a contract. Yeah. Um, but, you know, because he's the head of that team and, and he probably does have some of that, you know, significant equity stake, whereas, you know, some of the other team players do not. So for him the team playing well and performing under Liv's new model, the evolution model of more of the money going into the team is, you know, obviously excites him very much, but probably isn't that good for the likes of Danny Lee. So, you know, okay, Danny Lee won 4 million last week, but for the third place, what, whatever that was, half a million for the third place, isn't it? Uh, Well, that half a million doesn't get divided 125,000 each to the four players this year that goes back into the team purse yeah. because things have changed this year in that live you know aren't stumping up a load of money you know for travel and things like that and they also own 75% of each franchise you know it's so interesting when you start to see some of these things written in black and white around how the setup is and how the business model is working. This this article for me was quite telling and actually left some out there to continue to be dug into. I think, um, you know, yeah, I, I agree. I talk He's... about the, the team aspect. You know, if you look at, I talked a little bit about what Liv are doing there in, in terms of pulling back. You know, different approaches in terms of coverage for travel expenses this year to last year. And it certainly seems like there is a class war. I think that was called out in the article. If you look at the four aces, 
you know, that they all fly privately and separately, whereas maybe the cliques can't do that. You know, maybe they all have to like club in together and travel together and stuff to keep the cost down. But because of the four races doing well last year, they, they probably don't have to do that. That's a cool part of it, though, to be honest, because if you get players like Blandy and, and Bernd Wiesberger or, or whoever it is that they're struggling to live the same lifestyle as some of the others, then yeah. that's going to that's gonna lead to some edginess, I think, and a little bit of stick between the teams, um, which could be quite cool. And I, I really do think this team this team aspect has legs, and I, 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 I like that they're leaning into it, but I'm not sure if the format works at the moment because it's, it's very difficult to keep track of what's going on. And I sat with one of my um, one of my family members who's only just started playing golf, and I asked him to watch Live With Me. And he said that he would rather watch the PJ Tour because he couldn't keep track of what was going on, even though there was loads of shots. He struggled to actually follow the coverage and what was going on with Live because he, he was asking me all sorts of questions about the team event. And, yeah, um, yeah I, I don't know how they would go about it, but I, I, if they had more match play events, I think that would be really intriguing, where they had like direct teams against teams um somehow um i'm not sure how it would work and i know they're, they're quite versatile with with their format and, and phil mickelson's mentioned a few times that they'd be quite happy to you know to change what they're doing to to try and make it work so yeah maybe that's something they can look into going forward it's but the, the team aspect i think if done well definitely does have legs to it yeah absolutely and maybe they are going to have that opportunity to develop something on a match play scale obviously with the wgc match play yeah. Being, you know, in its last year on the PGA Tour as it currently stands, um, yeah. and it certainly opens the window for Liv to do something like that, doesn't it? So that that is a an interesting watch this space scenario. I, I do think. I mean, just just coming back to the article as well, Flush is that you know, I think there's a few other things in there as well. Is you know, you went to Centurion last week as uh, last year as did Little Bro. I I wasn't able to make it, but you know, he certainly talked a lot about, you know, kind of the razzmatazz and obviously it's a new thing and they had to pro- promote this really positive image. But one of the things that came out in this article was the fact that the the press room lunches have been downgraded, you know, from what was, yeah. you know, clusters, decadent buffets to what is now cold sandwiches and cookies. And and that's another example of maybe where they're sort of reining back. Um, now, obviously, you wouldn't expect, you know, the, the pressers to to be, you know, kind of treated lavishly and, and stuff like that. I wouldn't anyway. But um, it, that's just one other point of, of what's going on. The other point that was mentioned as well was the music acts. They've downgraded after having Jason Derulo and Diplo and the Chainsmokers to someone who's, you know, just DJed a, a relatively unknown DJ at Live Tucson. Um, it seems to yeah. be little changes in terms of what they're having to do um, to really make it sustainable. Yeah, the, the music acts might sell tickets on its own, though, because if you say you're paying, I don't know, 70, 80 yeah. quid for a ticket to watch the golf and then also to watch a, a top headline act afterwards. Um, I can see that being a selling point where you could like I could say to my wife, who's not into golf at all. Do you want to go and watch Live at Centurion? Um, I don't know. James Bay is playing afterwards. Uh, do you want to come and watch that? Because she's into him. And she'd be like, yeah, cool. And then that would actually be another ticket. But if I said, do you want to go and just watch the golf at Centurion? She wouldn't be interested at all. Exactly. So, no, no. Yeah. I, I'm not sure that, that that's, I, I mean, I saw it in Alan's article, but I'm not entirely sure that is part of the business thing. Maybe they just haven't been able to get any acts for the first two events because 
the schedule was rushed or something. I don't know. Um, yeah, you're, you're probably right. It's probably not part of the, the business on, model, but it's it's just yeah. another another example of a little bit of tweak, a little bit of change, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. I, it's it's difficult to 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 know what to make of a lot of the reporting on Liv because Alan does seem to be the only person that's that's really going to the events and and diving deep into it, and he's certainly getting his teeth stuck into actually reporting on what's going on behind the scenes. But I can't help but feel. There is like a slant to certain things, like the opening paragraph of his of his um of his report was kind of a bit I don't know yeah. taking the piss rather than like actually reporting on it. And I I don't know. I I, I, I agree with you. I think there was it. a bit I, of I like that. Him, yeah, yeah. I don't know what to make of it. There definitely was a bit of that, and it's again maybe a, a little bit of kind of a little bit of live bashing, a little bit of yeah. Let's pull some positive stuff out. Try and sort of sit in the middle somewhere. I don't know, but um, it, it was just it was an interesting. So you know, anybody listening out there, if you get a chance, have a look at the full article. That there is some interesting points in there. Say so it was yeah. headed "Live Growing Pains," and any new organisation always suffers growing pains. Um, it's just the way of the world. So. Uh, so, yeah, yeah there was exactly. a, a few things out there in that. Um, moving on then, uh, Flush, the, one of the things we didn't get a chance to talk about, which was hot news last week because we weren't able to publish, was the USGA and the RNA ball rollback proposal. Uh, any thoughts on that? Yeah, I, I think the ball should spin more. I don't really have a problem with how far it goes. I think they should make clubs harder to hit um, and make the ball actually spin. Like shot shaping seems to have pretty much gone from the game, except for a few players like Bubba Watson. Obviously, he's amazing at it. But most people were just robots now. They stand there. If they've got a fade, they just stand on the on the left side of the fairway and just fade it back. Um, it's just they just don't seem to to work it both ways like they used to. It's it's a shame, really. You don't get this, the same sort of character that you used to have with like a Trevino type player. Interest, yeah, no, I do know what you mean, and interest in the sense that you know, obviously Bryson being the scientist, as as he quotes himself as well, you know, his his quote around this last week was he thinks it's the most atrocious thing to do, unimaginative and uninspiring game cutting proposal. Everyone wants to see the ball go further. Well, I'm not entirely on board with that i don't think it is it is about the ball going further i mean we we know it is technology changes club technology etc contributes to that so i'm kind of with you t- to a degree you know it, it is about you know it, is the ball right for all players or does it benefit more than others you know it's is it just about length or is it about spin shot shape everything so i think it, it's something that's certainly going to play out um obviously in yeah. terms of the proposal but um yeah I, I just it's it's another example isn't it of them trying to do something to you know stop courses being annihilated i mean we obviously had bryson making that infamous comments around Augusta National being a par 67 for him and then him not being able to back that up with his performances. Um, but he wasn't the only one that came out last week. Justin Thomas also said he was disappointed, but he wasn't surprised because he felt that the USGA was selfish. Um, but he did make an interesting quote and, and I'll read it out. He said, if you're swinging 127 miles an hour, more power to you. 
people are running faster now. So are you going to make the length of a mile longer so the faster mile time doesn't change? I just thought that was ridiculous. <laughs> so, but what he's suggesting there is is basically what's happening is that they've made golf courses longer. So yeah. it would be the same as making a mile longer. So because of the equipment, it's made golf so easy. They have actually had to to lengthen the distance of the hole, which is exactly the same as saying, you know, you're going to run one and a quarter miles instead of a mile. So he doesn't actually make any sense of what he's saying there. Yeah, yeah, no, exactly. But it's I, I don't know where this goes then in terms of, I mean, obviously the proposal and kind of, you know, when things are going to change. I don't know if you had a chance to kind of find out any any more information about that. No, not really. I was, I was last I was really busy last week, so I didn't really get my head stuck into it. But um, yeah, if they're going to if they're going to start rolling back the ball, I, I do think they need to look at other options. Uh one of the things I noticed was when I played top level amateur golf, the scores on these events was always around level par. And we were playing a lot of older golf courses with smaller targets where if you like hit it offline, you were fucked. Basically, it yeah. would be like in the in the scrub or, you know, wherever out of bounds or something or in long rough and, and you'd have no shot. So you'd always end up with having to play a conservative game. Um, but then when I turned pro and started playing mini tours, you start going to resort golf courses with huge fairways and huge targets. And it just becomes a putting competition where you just everyone's hitting the green in regulation. And then you've just got a lag putt from 30, 40 feet all the time. Um, and then the bombers have an advantage because they're going in with wedges. They're not losing any golf balls. And yeah, I found the game, the pro game to be very different to top level amateur stuff. And I think really they should just start utilising some of the proper golf courses that we have. Like, a, you know, there's no, if the PJ Tour just I think they're one of the worst culprits to be honest they're going to all these TPC courses which are just wide open they just blast away and that's why you see this driving distance is such a massive advantage on that tour and it it's kind of it it puts away some of this, the shot making and and the players which we saw last week uh which which would do much better if they went to that kind of golf course more often Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Right. Uh, is there anything else, Flosh, that you have out there in the world of golf that you think is worthy of a talking point? Um, I think talk about what, what, where we stand with our sort of picks going into the Masters, if you've, if you've got time to do that. Oh, God, yes, yes. Well, yes, I know it's only a couple of weeks now. So. It is only a couple of weeks and we're obviously going to have a, a very special Masters edition is what we're hoping for. Um, but yeah, let, let's talk the Masters then. Early thoughts. Yes. I mean, I've been looking at the schedules and the, the way the PJ Tour is kind of games, they've really gained momentum leading into this time of year. I want, I'm really interested to see whether that helps or hinders the players because they've had some jam-packed schedules and they're now just going into major season. So will they be burnt out? Like Rory, for example, he looked knackered at the players and he missed the cut. Is he going to go fresh to, the, to Augusta and put up a good performance or is he going to be burnt out and really struggle? But the live guys have done the opposite where they're only just now building up into that. Yeah. And will that give them momentum throughout the major season? Um, personally, I think... I really do think that it works in the favour of the live guys and they, they're just having these, you know, they've had a couple of events now and they're going to play Florida next week and they're really going to start rolling into the season. They're going to be fresh. They've had a nice off season and I think it could actually really help them. It'd be interesting to see how they get on at the Masters. I wouldn't disagree with you. I, I think the way that the schedule is working is certainly of benefit to live players. My my only concern would be, you know, of the top players. And we talked about Cam Smith earlier on. We talked about, you know, DJ is 
maybe okay maybe the courses they've played so far in the two events maybe haven't suited them we know that cam smith and dj are going to perform at august as they got the ability to um it, it's it's just going to be i'm going to really be watching next week how some of these top players are playing at, at this event in orlando and sort of you know are they still fine-tuning their game but i wanted to circle back on what you just mentioned about rory there because it's a really interesting point is you know it's certainly one that he is going to want without a shadow of a doubt but yeah. his burnout i don't think it's just to do with golf it's it's everything to do with you know the mix of golf and the role that he's now playing as effectively the um almost the the pga tour commissioner in waiting and everything that sits on the shoulders that goes with that you know almost to, to the level of tiger woods ish and, and that's where he is and i that is really hard to deal with now yeah i've read reports this week that actually rory's been playing practice rounds at augusta and he's been absolutely ripping it up i don't know if you've seen those reports but you know whether they're true or not um remains to be seen but well, that's i mean that's all well and good rory's great when there's no expectation on him but when yeah. he goes to the masters and he's favorite and everyone's literally everyone's talking about him and writing about him and expecting him to complete the career grand, grand slam he notoriously struggles in those situations oh, i course. mean here's a, here's a good fact in the last nine years since 2014 me you my cat my two daughters, my mum, my gran, um, this woman I'm looking at walking down the street have all won the same amount of majors as Rory McIlroy. <laughs> Zero. <laughs> Zero, exactly. Yeah. So it just goes to show, like he's he may have been fluctuating to be the best player in the world and, and won the, all these tour championships and stuff, but he hasn't done what matters and what means the most to him and what means the most to his legacy in the game. And that's win another major. And yeah. he really needs to start doing that and start like proving that he's still capable of doing it because whenever he really gets the opportunity he just just doesn't get it done for whatever reason and yeah, yeah someone C- always certainly a big burden it's a massive burden yeah. isn't it to to carry around with you but so who are your given what you've seen in the world of golf over the last few weeks and obviously we've seen some really big power-packed elevated events on the pga tour um, Scotty Scheffler still out there winning tons. John Rahm still winning to, winning tons. Is you know, who who would be your couple of golfers out there at the moment that you would be willing to part some money? Uh, you know, in terms of their chances. Um. So I really think this. I think Scotty's going to definitely put up a show. I really do. He's he just plays so well and it suits his game and he's just in such a great space and you always get these runs. A lot of players will have like an eighteen month to two year period where they're so hot. And they have to win as much as they can in that spell. And they, they generally do. And then they might die off afterwards. Um, but I think this this could be another one. He has a potential to, to defend. Um, but I'm also looking at some value in uh, in like the live player players there, especially in the place market. Uh, my brother was looking at the exchange and said that somebody had a, a matched bet on Louis Eusthazen to win at 300 to 1. Wow. Which is unreal. So... I'm going to be watching like on Betfair Exchange and just seeing any of these live guys which are at a big price. Like if, if I can get like a Cam Smith, if he gets anywhere near like a 20 to 1, I'm going to be all over that. Um, if DJ gets starts slipping, if like Brooks and Bryson like fall out towards like an 80 to 1 or something, which is possible. Um, yeah, I might have a little bit of that as well. I think. Yeah, I think I think little bro was calling out Brooks Kepka. I think yeah. last week he put a tweet out and I think it was 
Kepka and Garcia were the two players he was looking at in particular in terms of, you know, liking the odds, that kind of stuff. I mean, obviously with you on, on Scheffler, he's playing some phenomenal golf at the moment. Ustazen is is a really interesting and that is a massive price for Louis. But I really do. We've seen him perform at Augusta. He has got the game to prevail at Augusta. So that is a huge price as far as I'm yeah, concerned, given that he just lost in a playoff. Obviously, yep. so he, he's playing some decent golf. Tough course last week. It really was. Um, yeah. What was it? Nine. Okay, it was nine under fifty-four holes. It, it's all relative, but you know he's playing some really good golf. So yeah, he's definitely got to be up there. I mean, it is about looking for that that value, isn't it? As you say, you know, if Cam Smith plays well next week, or, or maybe if he is going at twenty to one, and he puts in a really good performance next week, you know that's going to get slashed. And and I've I've been saying for quite some time, I do think Cam Smith is going to be up there back nine Sunday without a shadow of doubt. Uh, he'll yeah, be wanting it. It's just, it just suits him down to the ground, that course. He's, he yeah. can miss it off the tee and still be okay. And it's it's very kind of speefy-like, uh, the way Jordan always seems to turn up there. And Cam seems to do the same thing, where you're always in play. And there's no one, I don't think there's anyone better at recovery playing the game right now than Cam. And there's definitely no one as good as a putter as him. So it's certainly not in, you know, in the crucial moments. So, yeah, I, I would not be surprised to see him compete in there. Yeah, absolutely. In terms of a British challenge, I, you know, I'm definitely going to be looking at Tyrrell Hatton. I think the yeah. way, where his game is trending right now, it, for me with Tyrrell, and I think, you know, a lot of people would have the same view. It's about whether he can keep his emotions in, in check. At Augusta, it's going to be a cauldron. You know, there's going to be so much anticipation there with obviously all the live players um, you know, it might even be a good distraction for him if he can keep away from yeah, it. it but I'm certainly looking at Tyrrell Hatton for sure. Um, outside of that, you know, it's really, I think I'm going to see, I mean, obviously you're not going to get anything from this week really in terms of the WGC match play just because of the format of it. So I think, you know, it's it's a week that you'd probably write off, um, you know, for me in terms of watching who's getting ready I think what's going to be more interesting is the Valero Texas Open next week, you know, that, yeah. and that's really, really where you're going to start to see. But you know, you probably want to get some bets down and you know, picking some good players. Like I say, looking for those really good, enticing prices. I mean, what what are they offering about Louis? Three hundred to one, seven places, eight places. No, so it's not. It, that's a win only market that one because it's on the exchange. Was it right? Um, okay. And it was, it was matched before his performance um, at Live Tucson. Mm. So. That's what that's what I'm sort of looking for. Someone who's struggling, like a Bryson. The narrative is that he's really in a bad place with his game. Like, yeah, if you can get some good prices on some of those lads, that's that's what I'm going to try and jump on that if I can yeah, get the opportunity. Well, Flush, we will be circling back more on the Masters, obviously, in the next couple of weeks. And who knows, we might get you into kind of guest speak in terms of your your final picks for the Masters. Um, we'll watch that space. But we've got yeah. some tournaments, obviously, coming up this week. Uh, I do want to focus more on the WGC match play, given that it is the last um, in its current format on the PGA Tour being played at Austin Country Club. Um, a great tournament normally this year i'm a little bit disappointed because of obviously you know live players not being allowed to play we've got 18 debutants playing this course in the match play this year that is 
quite astounding, uh, you know, as a number. Obviously, it's born into the fact that the players can't play and those players who aren't turning up. You know, we've got, I think, is it Justin Thomas isn't playing this week? Um, That's right. Yeah. Rory McElroy, uh, he's going to be there as well. But there's some big names that aren't going to be there this week. So we've got three tournaments, but I, I do want to focus more on the WGC. We've obviously got the Johnson Workwear and the Corollas Punta Cana, which is the other PGA Tour events. So I'm not going to focus too much on those and we're just going to get a couple of picks on those. But let's get back to the WGC match play. I want to want to sort of um see what your view is in terms of the, you know, the quadrants and the draw and who you think's going to come out of the groups because there was a great piece put out on Twitter yesterday around the players match play records from a career perspective also um at austin where it's been played for the last few years um percentage win rates how well they're trending on strokes gained markets at the moment and and when you look at that it really helps you to fine tune the players that you think are going to come out of those groups so i don't know if you've looked at it already but maybe let's just have some chat about who we think is going to come out of each of the groups if you will so what about group yeah. one Obviously, we've got um, Scheffler, Tom Kim, Alex Noren, and Davis Riley. Uh, it, it seems like an easy group for Scheffler to come out of, wouldn't you think? Well, it, it does. But Tom Kim, I think this course suits his game. Right. And we saw how passionate and how gritty he is in match play during the Presence Cup. So yeah. um, I wouldn't be surprised if Tom Kim puts it up to Scotty in that group and, and they have a bit of a battle. And Alex Noren is the same. He's a really gritty, determined player and he knows his game really well. Um, so he's not going to be a pushover. So it is a tricky group. Um, yeah, I would expect Scotty to come out of it, but I don't think he's going to have it all his own way. That's for sure. Yeah, you, you would expect. Obviously, previous winner, um, you know, he's trending really well on these strokes gained indicators. You know, he's in green six of the seven indicators that were on there. Obviously, your normal strokes gained sort of barometers um you know tom kim hasn't played at austin like you say it's probably a course that suits his game but he isn't really he hasn't performed this year yet and i think there was a, again a lot of expectation uh, that he would burst through you know he's what is he top, he's in the top 30 in the world rankings uh, alex norren as you call out you know he has a, a really good win strike rate here at austin from the games that he's played, 68.8%. But it's certainly a group I would expect Scheffler to come out of. So you're, who are you going with then? In that group? Yeah. Yeah, I'll go with Scotty. I can't... I All right, OK. Can't so we're both, so, both yeah. with Scotty. Right, OK. Uh, what about group two, which is the Ram horschel mitchell fowler group? Yeah, that's another tough one. I mean, Ram, Ram's got his work cut out here because Billy, obviously, I know he's been missing a few cuts this year, but... He's such a dogged match player, isn't he? And um, yeah, I think that'll be a tough game. And obviously, Keith Mitchell's had a couple of good finishes. And Ricky Fowler needs to get to the quarterfinals to get into the match play. So he'll be really to get into the Masters. Week. Sorry, the Masters, not the Masters. Yeah, yeah, the Masters. Yeah. So okay, yeah, so he'll be really up for it this week as well. So it's another tough group. Yeah, he hasn't played a lot at Austin, obviously because of his his sort of fall from grace in the world rankings. And you know, he, I think he's only actually played three matches here. Um, yeah. you know, so again, yeah, it, we know Ricky's playing some really good golf, but it, it is a group I would expect John Rahm to come out of. I don't know, you know, the the whole pullout from the players, you know, with a reported 
stomach virus and stuff how true that is don't know but you know is johnny rahm just wanting a little bit of a break <laughs> obviously before this event and, and going into the masters who knows but i do expect him to come out of this group even though billy horschel's got a good win strike rate at austin i'm gonna go for the dream and i'm gonna i'm gonna back ricky fowler to come out of that one okay play his way into the masters interesting interesting right let's go into group three then which is the McElroy bradley mccarthy stallings group again it seems like a no-brainer it does but i mean these these match play brackets are not as easy to win as as they might come across aren't they they are tough it's rory rory i just amazing where rory's at at the moment with with his game um he obviously had that win in dubai but he and um, come second at Bay Hill, but um, he certainly hasn't been quite the same level as like a Scotty or a Rambo this year. So, um, yeah, I, I don't know if I'm that confident on him. And I, I think in this bracket, I'll take Keegan Bradley to come through. Yeah, although Keegan Bradley hasn't won a game here at Austin in nine matches. So, you know, maybe that tells you something. But the difficult thing about this group, in my opinion, is you've got two debutants as well in McCarthy and Stalling. So you really don't yeah. know what you're going to get. We know that Denny McCarthy is a solid putter as well. Um, you know, but Rory's win rate here is only 47%. So whilst it might seem an obvious one, I think it is a group that you probably could see a shock. I'm still going to go with Rory to progress to the next round, though. So you think the, the three top seeds so far? At, at the moment, yeah. There's, there's, yeah. A, few, there's, <laughs> there's a few that... So, um, OK. Yeah. Group four, Cantley, Harmon, KH Lee and Nick Taylor. Again, I'm sticking with the theme of, you know, solid players. I expect Cantley to come out of this group. Uh, but again, we do have two debutants here in this group in KH Lee and Nick Taylor. And, and we know Nick Taylor's playing some really good golf this year. Yeah, Nick Taylor's been playing great. He's He can certainly put up a show, but I I just think Patrick Cantley, even his the way he goes about his, his game with his routine, it takes quite a long time. And he's he's quite deliberate in his methods. I feel like that might wind people up in match play. So I actually, he's got a great record, obviously, in the team events. So, yeah, I think Patrick Cantley will, will walk that. Okay, so we're both going with Cantley. Right, the next group, group five, is I've picked out three groups that I think are really sort of really tough power play groups. And this is one of them. I think this is going to be a tough group to come out of. It's Homer Matsuyama, Kevin Kisner and Justin Sir, um, who's obviously had a a really good season so far. And again, is a debutante here, not just in uh, at Austin, but also in match play career. So uh, for me, it's a tough one. Kevin Kistner has got a phenomenal win record here at Austin, 76%. But again, he's not having a great season. He's not striking any of the, not ticking any of the boxes on strokes gain, trending. Um, Max Homer's doing everything this year, isn't he? He's, you know, brilliant performance, 50% win rate here from the six matches that he's played. Uh, But, you know, Matsuyama is someone who can certainly play some really good match play it's a tough group for me but homer has just shaded it really yeah no, yeah I, I don't know really what to do with this one i kisner if kisner was in better form i'd be looking at him but he'd be sure wouldn't he? at the moment so yeah, yeah i don't i don't really fancy him in this and and hideki's hideki doesn't putt good enough to to be a top match player so you, you're kind of looking between homer and justin sir and i might actually go with the outsider and go with justin sir because he's in He's in good form. He's got everything to prove. 
Um, yeah. I do wonder sometimes if all the top names this close to the Masters even want to be playing seven rounds in exactly in, uh, yeah in there week, is that so. fact as well isn't there <laughs> yeah so i feel like there's there's more for him to gain so i'm going to go with justin sir i i think from a betting perspective and an odds perspective justin sir probably is the play um you know yeah. he could easily come out of this group but as i say i'm going to stick with my my theme and the sort of analysis that I've done and stick with Max Homer. I think he's playing some phenomenal golf this year. Let's move on to group six, which is Xander Schauffele, Tom Hogue, Wise and Cam Davis. Uh, Expect Schauffele to come out of this. In fact, the reason I expect him to come out of it, because I have predicted him all the way through to the final and for him to beat Scotty Scheffler in the final. So I'll just put that one out there right now. Yeah, I I probably can see that too. Obviously, Tom Hoagie's playing well. He played really well at the players a couple of weeks back, and and Cam Davis is is is. I feel. I mean, all of my things are done on the eye test. I don't like follow the strokes game stuff or like data golf and all that. But um, Cam Davis feels like he's good at match play, and he um, yeah, and I feel like Aussies are generally quite good at, at this format. So I wouldn't rule him out, but I do see Xander taking this this group down as well. Yeah, so do I. Don't talk to me about Cam Davis. He let me down for a lot of money at the players with that back nine <laughs> capitulation. So, uh, yeah, not very happy with the Australian, but he is a debutant wow. here this week at, at Austin. Let's move on to Group 7 then, which is Will Zalatoris, Ryan Fox, Harris English and Andrew Putnam. Again, seems like an easy group for Zalatoris if he's fit to come out of. Jakey is short putter in the world and... If yeah. he gets a little bit edgy in some of these pressure parts, um, I, yeah, I'm not going to go with Will Zalatoris. I'm going with Foxy. Yeah, Foxy. Um, yeah, he was my number two in this group. I think again, he's yeah. a debutant, so um, you know, certainly playing some good golf. It, it could be a cause for him. And Zalatoris only has a 50% win rate here at Austin as well. So, okay, you've gone with Fox. I've gone with Zalatoris. Group eight is Hovland, Kirk, Siwoo Kim, and Matt Kuchar. Tough group for me this one. Yeah, uh, Victor's playing great, and obviously he won the US Amateur only a few years ago. Um, so I think I would go with him. But but the other it is a tough group, a really tough group. Is I mean, literally anything can happen in these match plays. Was it two years ago that only one of the top seeds got through? Yeah, it, it, it is. It can be a bit of a lottery and stuff. But um, yeah. yeah, you're certainly looking, you know, for players to come out the group and then obviously progressing is so difficult. You know, a bit like World Cup progressing all the way through. Getting back to the group, I think Chris Kirk is going to come out of this group. I think he's, you know, only played five matches here at Austin, but got a 60 percent win rate in match play and is striking four of seven of the strokes against trends. So, yeah, who, who are you why, going for? Why have you... I think Victor, but why have you gone against Victor? Is there any any reason there, any narrative for that? So yeah, the, the narrative is um, is Austin record. Uh, he's played six games here. He's, he's I think he's played nine games here. He's thirty three percent strike rate. So it just seems like maybe it's a it's a course that probably doesn't suit him greatly. And I, I think Chris Kirk is playing some solid golf at the moment. He's you know got a comparable record to Victor Hovland here. Um, in fact, you know, in match play overall, um, better generally in his career. So, uh, yeah, that was just a, a swinger for me. It was tight between the two of them. But uh, saying that, Matt Kuchar will probably go and come out of the group. <laughs> yeah, probably will. That's how exactly. this event goes, isn't it? Yeah, right. Let's move on quickly. We've got group nine, Morikawa, Day, Svensson and Perez, with Svensson being a debutant in this tournament. Thoughts? Ooh, um, 
I don't know what to make of Colin Morikawa this year. Uh, yeah, he's he in and out, like isn't he? He's a great golf, but yeah, I, I'm not really sure. And he's been a little bit snappy in some of his like interviews as well. I'm, I'm not really sure what's what's going on with him. So um, I think I might go with Jason Day, who's obviously won. I don't know if he won at this course, but he's won the event. Um, and yeah, he's in some good form. So uh, yeah, I'm going to go with Jason Day here. Well, I'm going to be controversial with Colin Morikawa flush, and he's recently just got married, hasn't he? So maybe it's that. I, I don't know, but you know, he's got he's got just under 29% win rate at Austin. So maybe it's again a course that doesn't suit him. Um, Jason Day is playing some really good golf at the moment. Um, I actually think Jason Day is going to come out of the group, maybe maybe close between him and Victor Perez. I think Perez could play well here. Well, we could see what Victor Perez does because he'll be on the fringes of getting the Ryder Cup spot. So exactly. If he can like take down Colin Morikawa and maybe Jason Day, that would be really good to see. Yeah, so I'll be happy be... to be wrong if it's Victor Perez. Absolutely yeah. trying. Right, Group Ten: Finau, Kitiyama, Moronk, and Bazudenhout. For me, I'm going with Adrian Moronk. I think he's going to oh, come nice. out this group. Stick with the European. I like that. Um, I'm going to go with Kurt Kitiyama. Two debutants there. Right. Yeah, he won a couple of weeks back. He he just and he hits it. I think he hits it past Finau. Um, yeah, I think I think Kurt Kitayama will win this one. A winner at Arnie's house, obviously playing some really good golf at the moment. Okay, Group Eleven, tough group for me. Fitzpatrick Tagala, Minwoo Lee, and JJ Spawn. I do expect Fitz to come out of the group. I was quite captivated by the full swing footage where he beat Poulter um, last year, and Poulter nearly broke his hand after the game. <laughs> yeah, that um, was good. <laughs> yeah, it was absolutely brilliant. But I do, I do expect Matt Fitzpatrick. I'm not sure if there's a, a little bit of a niggling injury going on with Fitzpatrick. I've been hearing. Yeah, he obviously didn't play great last week, and um, mm. he has had the injury problems. So there could be something going on there. But yeah, I, I don't know. I, I, we could really do with a proper injury report in golf, couldn't we? Where we know what's going on week to week. That's like half the battle, though, isn't it? Is we don't yeah. we don't get yes. that stuff through. It's yeah, it's a bit like you know, with football, you get to know the players that you know there's seventy five percent chance of playing and they've got this little niggle or whatever. But golf, it's it's really difficult and it's actually quite important as well because you've got yeah, a golfer that's got a little tweak in the back or you know a little calf muscle that's pulled. It's it's actually quite impactful. Um, and yeah. So yeah, us punters a bit blindsided there. Okay, well I'm going with Fitz out of that group. So um, I'm going to carry my theme of not going with the favourites and pick Mimu Lee just because okay. I'd love to see him go deep in this tournament. Yeah. Okay. Well he's got a record of one 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 here in his three starts at Austin, so we'll see. But yeah, certainly playing some good golf. Group twelve: Spieth, Lowry, Montgomery, and the Canadian Mackenzie Hughes. Tough group for me this one. Spieth. Yeah, another one. Has flattered to deceive recently, got into really good positions um, and fallen by the wayside. But I expect Mackenzie Hughes to come out of this group. Wow, nice. Um, yeah, I'm going to go with Spieth. He seems to be trending and he's certainly picking up form heading into the Masters, as he quite often does. So I really wouldn't be surprised to see him get to the final or even win it this week. Um, he's one. Of, I'd hate to play against Spieth in match play because he's never out of a hole. You look at him and you'd be like, well, I've got this one in the bag. And then he'd hit it out of the trees, like turn it over 50 yards and run it through bunkers and then hold the putt from 50 feet for a birdie. <laughs> it's, oh, I, I, yeah, I would really hate to play against match play. So you've gone with Spieth, I've gone with Hughes. Let's ramp up the last four groups. We've got group 13, it's Sammy Burns, Power, Scott and Hadwin. And I've gone with 
Adam Scott's come out of this group. I think he is definitely he's, he's got a strong match play performance. He's certainly played well here at Austin with a 57% win rate. Seamus Powell's 60% as well. But we've also got a debutant, interestingly enough, in Sam Burns. Not played here before. Wow, I didn't know that. Um, mm. I was going to yeah comfortably pick Sam Burns after his Sunday charge last week. And, um, yeah, I didn't realise I hadn't played before. I should really do more research. <laughs> but um, well, yeah, yeah. I'm still going to go with Sam Burns. I, I think he will have a good week. Okay, interesting. Well, he certainly finished off the tournament last week really strongly going for that hat trick. But uh, yeah, Adam Scott, I think if he brings his good game, he can get through. Right, Group 14, Tyrrell Hatton, Angry Man. Russell Henley, Australian Luca Turbot, and Ben Griffin, who is also a debutant here in the match play. I expect Tyrrell to come through. I think he's playing too good to get turned over by any one of the other three. Yeah, I agree with you there. And he parts really well, which is crucial in match play. I, yeah, I can see him holding a few 15, 20 footers to, to win some holes. So, yeah, I'll yeah. go Tyrrell in that one as well. I think. Yeah, tough one as well. I mean, Lucas Herbert, I think, definitely likes the course. He's had two wins here. Out of the three matches that he's played, you know, he, he's someone that could go under the radar, but I do expect Tyrrell to get through. Right, Group 15 is one of those power groups that I thought was going to be an interesting one. It's Cam Young, Sepp Straker, Corey Connors and Davis Thompson, the young lad. Tough group. Yeah, it's a tough group. Um, Cam Young, has he, what's he been up to this year? I haven't seen his name, apart from coming second in Saudi. Has he done much this year? He's he's been there or thereabouts, I think. He, I mean, not, not sort of been bang in contention in terms yeah, of like obviously that, winning and stuff, but he's he's a strong performer for sure. He was one of those names that was touted as potentially going to live as well, wasn't he? So, but yeah, it's. I mean, I've gone with Corey Connors in this group. I I do like Corey Connors. I think he's you know a strong performer, um, got a solid game. And I, I do think he can play well. This uh, He's certainly got a little bit of form here at Austin as well. Striker have a good week. Um, I'm not sure if I see it, but yeah, I think I might go with Corey Connors. Connors the same as you. Um, but I'm hoping, again, I'm wrong and that Sepp Striker wins all three matches and gets to like the semi-finals because obviously he's going to be probably in the team for the Ryder Cup. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Cam Young, going back, his best finish this year is second on the Asian Tour at the Saudi International. So, yeah. Uh, is second, not bad, but it was on the Asian tour. Um, obviously, some big names over there as well. Okay, and final group is Sung Jaim, Tommy Fleetwood, the imposter, JT Poston, and Maverick McNeely. Uh, tough group for me, this one, but I do expect Tommy to come out of it the way that he's playing. At yeah, the I fancy Tommy as well. I, I, more maybe because I want him to win it. Um, yeah. But I, yeah, I'm not sure how um, his pattern would hold up, you know. Does he get on well around his course? He's got a yeah, he's got a forty-seven percent win rate from the seventeen matches that he's played. So yeah, it's uh, not not too bad really in the grand scheme yeah. of things. Anything fifty percent and above is good in match play, I think. Yeah, for sure. I, I, yeah, I fancy Tommy as well in this group, it, and it would be awesome, wouldn't it, just to see him finally get his his win in a match play event in a Ryder Cup year? That yeah, would be dream stuff. So. Well, he's had two great chances. The players, obviously, he yeah. was banging there, fell away. Last week, bang in there, just couldn't land that telling punch. At some point, you know, it's going to come, hopefully this season. But OK, so we've gone through all the groups. Anyway, as we go through the tournament, as I said earlier on, I've got Scotty Scheffler um, being beaten by Xander Schofle in the final. Christ. Um, so I haven't actually done the full bracket work down. So that's absolutely it, fine. 
yeah so I'm, i do apologize for that we um, have got your group thoughts that's all that matters and that's all yeah, that so the listeners what, want i'll tell you what i'm going to do i'm going to pick tommy fleetwood to beat in the final i'm not even sure if this is a possibility um to beat speed in the final is that a possibility beat jordan speed well, fleetwood's in group yeah so they're in the no that can't happen because can't they're happen in the same half yeah yeah Never mind, never. But Tommy Fleetwood could go there anyway. So listen, your two picks are Tommy Fleetwood and Jordan Spieth, and one of them yep. could get to the final. Right, excellent. Okay, let's quickly move on to the other PGA Tour event, which is the Corales Punta Cana. Again, not going to go into a great load of detail here. We've got a par seventy-two, just a shade over seven and a half thousand yards. Um, it, you know, we we've seen this course a number of times on the rotation. It's an ocean course. Wind, obviously, is its main defence, but I'm going to go with four players. Um, just, you know, I'm going to reel them off. It's Chad Ramey, Taylor Pendrith, Tyler Duncan and Ryan Gerrard. They're all players that I think are playing decent golf enough at the moment. They're all up in the market from 20 to 1 to 45 to 1. I think somebody high up in the market is going to win it. I don't think it's going to be an outsider. But, you know, again, it's not a tournament I'm going to get too heavily invested in. Well, it's the same, really. I, I'm actually just looking at the field now. Um, there's, yeah, there's quite a few. What about Kramer Hickok? Um, he's been playing all right. Yeah, decent enough price. I think he's around about 50 to 1. I mean, it, you know, it, there's not a lot of stellar course form to go with current form out there in no. this competition this week. So, again, you know, it, it light stakes, I think, at the Corales this week, probably facing or placing more emphasis on the WGC. So, um, yeah, I mean, yeah. Matt Wallace as well. He's, he obviously yeah. had a good week last week. Harry Hall. Um, yeah, he, he could play well. Um, who else? Matty Schmid. There's a few Europeans that they've got Do a you know, chance here. Bro, little bro likes Matty Schmid. And he's 125 to 1 this week. And I did actually have a little bit of a look at him. I glanced across the name. I thought, oh, yeah, 125 to 1. So, from an outsider's point of view, yes, he he could have a little bit of a chance. Matt Wallace, absolutely. It's a little bit short in the market for me, 25 to 1, but he did have a tied seventh at the Valspar last week. That is short, yeah. Yeah. Um, I'd, I think I'll, I'll might have a little dab on Matt, Matty Schmid then, I think. Okay, Matty Schmid. Okay, all right, excellent. So, Ramey, Pendrith, Tyler Duncan, Ryan Gerrard and Massey Schmid from Flush. Right, let's move on. Last but certainly not least. Well, it is least. It's the Johnson Workwear Open um, previously or played last year as the Stained City Open. So it's the second time we've seen it. It's past 72, shade over 7,700 yards long, but it plays shorter because of the... Uh, 5,750 feet above sea level, obviously, where the ball travels further. So I've actually gone with last year's winner, Sean Norris. He beat Dean Burmester and he's 50 to 1, Sean Norris. Uh, he was a tied 20th at the Magical Kenyan Open with a closing round 63. But that performance last year was quite strong and he clearly likes the course. Um, alongside Sean Norris, I'm going with Becker. Oliver Becker uh, tied third last year with a low round 63 and he is 30 to one. And my final play is Adrian Otegi, the Spanish guy that uh, yeah, DP World Tour do not like. And he's 35 to one. So it's Becker, Norris and Otegi for me. Um, yeah, so I'd love to see Matt Baldwin play well again. It probably, mm. He would be fine on cloud nine. So it wouldn't surprise me if he did have a good week. But he's, I'm also certain that he's probably going to have a hangover. So, um, <laughs> yes, 
so that might it might be a struggle. Um, few players I like in this. Um, what about so I'm I'm thinking there's the young Spanish lad called Alex Del Rey. Um, he's not been in great form. He's ranked about 300th in the world, but he hits it miles. And um, I think he might be due a good week. He, he shot 59 on the Challenge Tour about two years ago. He's a really talented lad. Um, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised to see him do well. And um, yeah, also, what about like, sorry, I'm, I'm kind of losing my names here. I did write these down. Maybe <laughs> um, already, so I don't need to um, go through him again. But like Cabrera Bayo as well, I, th- I think he's, he's, um, a chance around this goal course. Hurley Long, I really like Hurley Long. Um, yeah, Cabrera Bear is about 45 to 1. I think Hurley Long's around about 60 to 1, something like that. Good German, good strong German player. Player out at 35 to 1 that I can't now, I can't even read my damn notes. Um, <laughs> it was Ewan Ferguson. Yeah, so Ewan yes. Ferguson. I really like him this week, and he's yeah thirty-five to one. I think is a brilliant price. Um, he had a good season last year, and no doubt, I, I'm not sure where he is in the rankings, but he'll probably have trying to get onto the verges of getting to the Ryder Cup on his mind. So he needs to start winning some of these events if he's going to start climbing the ladder and get into that squad. So yeah, I, I like you and Ferguson at thirty-five to one. Okay, so Cabrera Bayo, you and Ferguson, Hurley Long. Seem to be your main plays alongside Becca Norris and Atagi, yeah. right? And also, okay. is, I'm not going to play him, but Alex Alexander Napper is uh, is, Knapper is worth, one worth keeping an eye on. He played well in another German player. Yeah, he won the Challenge Tour de Merit last year. Um, he works really hard on his game, and and um, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised to see him have a good week. He's had had a couple of good finishes recently. I think maybe where did he come top five? I get lost. There's so many tournaments now. I get lost. Oh yeah, no, I've backed. I've backed him twice this year. He's yeah, good solid player, and he is definitely going to win before long. Right, I think that wraps us up, doesn't it, Flush? It's been a really good podcast. A lot of good chat there on a lot of emotive topics as well. Um, And I want to thank you for stepping in for Little Bro this week at short notice. Um, It's been great for us to get this podcast done and I know we will speak to you again very shortly. But just before we close out, we've got the Valero Texas Open as the Masters warm up next week and no DP World Tour event at all. So that's what we will see next week. I want to thank Flush for joining us on Bros and Birdies podcast and have a good week, Flush. Thank you very much. Thanks, buddy. It's been emotional. (laughs) <laughs> that's going to be my go-to tagline now <laughs> it is cheers <laughs> cheers mate bye bye this, this really is beyond the joke now he's, he's, he's got guard now because this is uh, this is quite I've never seen anything like it before and to attempt to hit the ball out of there is pure madness <laughs> <laughs>